Hello and welcome to Rockets Accelerated Geek Conversation. I'm Simone DeRochefort, video producer at Polygon, and I'm here today with Brianna Wu, game developer, and Christina Warren, senior cloud advocate at Microsoft. It has been a week. So since uh, we last recorded, uh, America has exploded. Well, it's been exploding, but the explosion became very, very loud um, in response to the murder of George Floyd. There have been protests happening all over the place and a resurgence of support for Black Lives Matter, which we, of course, also support. Um, And... This is going to be, I think, a, a, a it's going to be a weird show because it is a very intense time and it feels like weird to be recording a podcast right now. Um, but we are recording a podcast and we're going to be a little more. No, we're always topical. We, we are going to talk about some of the events that have happened this week, mostly just circulating around Facebook and Twitter and their responses to uh, this current movement for justice and equality. Well, we always want Rocket. You know, podcasting is not a news business as much as it's a fun business, right? Like, I know when I listen to a podcast, I feel like I, I, I feel like the people are my friends in a certain way, right? Mm-hmm. And when you hang out with your friends, like, it doesn't always need to be dark. I can't tell you how many weeks for show planning we're like, nope, not touching that. You know, we want this to be a fun show, but the the things going on in the United States this week are so unbelievably serious, particularly the literal physical assault on the press that, you know, we we feel ethically like we've got to have a show about these topics this, this week. So, um, you know, there it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, and I think we all all of us, Simone alluded to this, but it does feel weird to be doing this show uh, because there are other things that are so concerning. And and most of us, our Twitter feeds are are kind of consumed with this right now. And Black Lives Matter, I don't think we can say that enough. Uh, police brutality is not okay. Um, fascism is not okay. And the, the things that are happening right now in the United States are the culmination of things that have been happening for 400 years mm-hmm. and it's not okay. And, um, yeah. You know, I used to work in the the police beat in Mississippi and every single day I would go, uh, from a newspaper, I would go look at the, the crimes and I have reported on a lot of Mississippi crimes, rapes, murders, uh, you know, really serious felonies uh, of the white justice system against the black people in Mississippi. And I just want to say, like, the stuff that's happening right now, this has been happening for our entire history. It's just, it's it's more visible. And part of that is because of technology and the way this culminates on the internet. But, you know, these are, these are police tactics that are straight out of the integration era of, of the South. I mean, there's very little that is changed between, you know, like a Mississippi sheriff getting his service revolver and executing civil rights workers. Um, and, you know, someone leaving his knee on someone and murdering them in broad daylight while other police look like these are very similar tactics against people of color. Mm -hmm. That is very well said. Uh, So 
Let's talk about this week's news. Uh, So we are going to start with Twitter, uh, because I think this is where we really started getting into interesting social media responses to our current moment. So Twitter last week had, for the first time, added a fact check to one of Donald Trump's tweets. And as Brie alluded to earlier, this is one of those stories where we talked about it uh, as it happened. And we were like, man, can we talk about what Twitter is doing without talking about Donald Trump? No, let's not talk about it this week. And I think that was a good decision because now it's even more relevant than ever. Um, So they added a fact check to a tweet that Trump had made about uh, mail-in voting being rampant with voter fraud. That was essentially what he said. And Twitter added a link below it saying, learn the facts about mail-in voting. Um, And my initial response to this particular action was, that's a bad implementation of a fact (laughs) check. Because it doesn't... It doesn't make it look like he's lying. It makes it look like he's saying, mail-in voting is fraud. And then Twitter's like, yeah, learn the facts about it. (laughs) Um, (laughs) However, Twitter went a little further, a lot further this week when Trump made an absolutely reprehensible tweet about the protests happening in Minneapolis and said that when the looting starts, I almost said sharts kill me <laughs> said that when the looting starts <laughs> leave it in jim <laughs> that's reality for you when the looting starts the shooting starts which is a paraphrasing of a, i believe something a police chief said during the civil rights era um yep as Miami. a threat uh, yeah yep. an implicit Miami. explicit threat against black americans protesting Um, So Donald Trump was paraphrasing that, or I don't know if he was knowingly quoting it. Either way, it has a horrible history. Um, And Twitter hid this tweet behind a warning saying the tweet was glorifying violence. And then they they had the White House account tweet it as a quote, as if it were, you know, because the White House account can tweet things because they're newsworthy and say, oh, here's a quote from our president, Donald Trump saying, quote-unquote, when the looting starts, the shooting starts. Almost did it again. Um, And then Twitter hid that tweet behind a warning as well. And this is the first... This is noteworthy because it is the first time that Twitter has really done something explicitly... I I don't want to say aggressive, but it, it has said that Trump's inappropriate tweets are inappropriate. It's the first time they've really come out and not done a mealy mouth like, I don't know, it's newsworthy. Is it really violating our terms and conditions? I don't know. I'm going to leave it up. They actually like came out and said it, um, which has, of course, caused a meltdown in the White House. I'm going to throw to you guys just for your initial reactions slash additions to this story. Well, I agree with you, Simone. I think it was a very bad implementation. Um, You know, it really didn't do anything to say this is um, incorrect. It it kind of made it seem 
like it's a two-sided issue. You know, one of the, the, the methods of propaganda is to put something out there so outrageous and then to turn it into such a, then you've got the fact check and the lie and that introduces doubt into the minds of people that aren't following it closely. So, um, you know, it's, I thought it was a bad implementation and his meltdown was utterly predictable. Um, there was a great, uh, I think the verge has had some of the best, reporting on this. They had a piece today uh, that I thought was dead on. And it's like, look, they're going to cry about these tactics. They're going to claim bias. They're going to keep screaming from the hills. So just do the right thing. Mm -hmm. And I wish they had just, uh, I wish they would just outright delete these tweets advocating for violence. And I wish they put a real fact check there. Yeah. I mean, I think, so I, I thought that the initial for the vote by mail fact check, I thought that that was really mealy mouthed. And I thought that that was really just like the kind of the, the very typical kind of bare minimum sort of thing you can do, which is like, well, we're following policy, but we're, we're going to do it in a way that actually to Bree's point, uh, introduces doubt and opens, makes it like a room for discussion What in there. There's not room for discussion. What he said is factually incorrect. I live in a state that the entire state is yeah. vote by mail and has been, and it's been doing that for a really long time successfully. Uh, and but I've noticed you have a democratic governor. So can you really <laughs> say that it is yeah, not yeah, fraudulent? I mean, I guess so. I mean, but I but I guess all the people who live in Spokane and Eastern Washington, you know, um, they 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 sure get to to, to to vote in their rednecks. But like, I I, I guess that's just a, a coincidence. Maybe that's just that somehow the system has has worked that way. I don't know. But yeah, no, I mean, you know, it was factually wrong, and the way that they introduced the initial kind of fact check thing, I thought was a really bad implementation. And a lot of people pointed that out. I will say this: I do think that when they um, didn't hide the tweet, but when they, you know, prevented it from being kind of retweeted and, and some of the other things for, for the tweet that incited violence, that I actually, when they doubled down on, on their behavior after he threw his first hissy fit, I was, I'm, I'm down with that. I mm-hmm. was actually surprised and, and kind of proud of, of Twitter for that, to be totally honest, especially given uh, the, the next company we'll be talking about. Um, it, it was a really stark difference in approach there. Uh, is there more that they could do? Yes, absolutely. I agree with, with TC at the verge who says just like ban them all. I'm, I'm in total agreement. They're going to go after you anyway. We're going to be getting, uh, uh Catherine Trenacosta, who is an analyst at the electronic frontier foundation on, um, a, a future episode to talk about some of the challenges, the DMCA and some of the other things that, that, are potentially going to come out of, of these sissy fits that this week is not the right week to have those conversations, but we will in a future episode. And she can talk more about some of the, uh, I guess in some ways kind of hilarious, um, ways that this could backfire potentially for the administration mm-hmm. and the people who keep crying things like bias. But having said that, like, is there more that Twitter could do I, without a doubt? Of course there is that said, and, and look, maybe this is me being gaslit by how terrible the other companies' responses have been. <laughs> but I, I was I was impressed to see the way that they doubled down. Um, obviously, the White House had a way to get around it, which is gross. But they they did have a way to double down. My problem with that, though, is that. And 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 this is I don't know how you solve this problem because you would have the exact same issue if you were to ban um, the tweets or delete the tweets. Is that then the, the news story of the 
you know, mm-hmm. um, the warning becomes its own cycle. And it gets so spread around that message, because it was that, newsworthy that it got taken down. It, it, exactly. I mean, that's the thing. If they were to ban him, that would then become a, a news story for weeks. If they were to delete a tweet, the tweet that they deleted would literally be everywhere for days on end. And the message mm-hmm. would just get that much louder. So I don't know what the solution is. And and there's not a way, I mean, honestly, you can't argue in that case that it's not newsworthy because it is. Yeah. So uh, I, I don't know what the solution is because in, in, in no matter what they do, they're going to be giving this attention. Like even if Twitter was to say ban it, outside forces will still put the microscope um, on and I mean, you here's know, the thing that they should saying. have done is if they had any policies like this in place years ago, it wouldn't be new and noteworthy now. Agreed. Um, so the Agreed. solution they is started time doing this travel. four years ago. Yeah, yeah, they should have done. I mean, honestly, I would say even before he was elected, because once someone is elected, then it is difficult because you are talking about a state leader. That that is a legitimate. And very kind of valid thing to have a conversation about how do you treat comments from state leaders because it is it is understandably a little bit of a different ball game. In what I what they should have done is when he was running for office, started to implement and 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 you know uh, uphold their policies because then there mm-hmm. would be precedent. It's it's much more difficult when because but you know I mean on the one hand you can say well no one expected the leader of the free world to do what he does. Okay, fair enough, but he was doing this stuff during his campaign. Why would you expect it to stop? Right. Mm-hmm. I think to your point though, Christina, when you were saying, um, you know, if they do, if Twitter comes and they act very aggressively or they outright delete it, it changes the press conversation to twi- to Trump censored. I I don't think that that's what would happen in reputable media. There were over 100 acts of explicit violence against journalists that have happened this week. Uh, but right, of, of course. But I'm not well, talking me, about. Me, no, no. Let me, let me, let me sure, clarify sure, though, because sure. I didn't say censorship. That's not what I said. What sure. I said is the story would be his tweet was deleted, whether it was allowed or not. And if you're covering a story of the tweet being deleted, and you don't mention what was in the tweet, I don't care how reputable you are. That's that in and of itself is like. That's a really hard – I don't know how any reputable place could could report on something that didn't include the content of the tweet that was deleted. That's fair enough. I, I do think, though, that I, – I, I think what was so remarkable about TC's op-ed in The Verge today, where it was – the headline was literally, just ban him is I think all of us here, we get into technology, uh, and I would imagine Simone, you and Christina got into journalism from a, a really – a, a real place where you believe in the First Amendment and you you love those ideals. Trump has really pushed it to a point where we're we're all wrestling with those ideals because he has weaponized them against us. And I really do think that the press overall, when you're seeing literal explosions happen as police are targeting journalists. When you're having journalists permanently blinded because they've been shot in the eye with quote-unquote rubber bullets, which are not rubber bullets, I mean, I think when you're having this much violence. I mean, have you guys watched PBS lately? I mean, this is the most neutral thing you could possibly imagine. You've got someone, you've got the freaking Republican person there going, no, this is awful. It's indefensible. 
I just think as a whole, anyone that can be reached on this subject is is with us. And I just, I feel like this right-wing noise machine and the bots on Twitter, I just think it, I think it really confuses us from the fact that most people are exhausted with this drama and this horror. No, you're not wrong. I, I agree with you. The one thing I would point out, though, and this is, I think, a, a conversation we have to have this week, is you talk about the First Amendment. Freedom of speech is not the only part of the First Amendment. There are four parts, and one of those parts is the ability to assemble and to protest. And that admit that that part of the First Amendment is being violated every single moment of the day right now by the police when they are tear gassing people and when they are putting um, out, you know, like pepper bombs and when they are attacking people on the streets for doing nothing, when they are moving past people who can't, ha- don't have a place to move by and they are then taking out their sticks and they are hitting people and they're beating people. And we have video after video after video of this. Yes, the press are being attacked in an unprecedented way and it makes me sick and it makes me so angry. And this is something that the president has done nothing but really try to anger people and pull people against. But freedom of to to protest is also the First Amendment, and that's being yeah. violated every second of the day. And frankly, the New York Times, they changed their headline, but their initial headline for Tuesday morning's paper was not to call to attention that the cops were were in charge of this and that Trump was was forcing people to be, you know, tear gassed so that he could have a photo op in front of a church. But but what was basically chaos reigns and and it was a complete mischaracterization mischaracterization of the situation. Mm-hmm. So our First Amendment rights are at risk right now, period. And that is that has never been more evident. And 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 it's to be totally honest, what's happening on Twitter and what's happening on Facebook, as bad as those things are, that's the least of, of, of my worries right now about the First yeah. Amendment. My 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 bigger concerns are what we're seeing. Thank God we everyone has a, a camera on them, is we are seeing the violations happen time and time and time and time again. And that's just been over the last five days. I've never seen anything like this. I never thought that I would see anything like this. I can't believe that this is the United States of America, which is supposed to be the greatest country in the world. And what what is happening is that our rights, our fundamental rights are being yeah. violated every step of the way by the people who are supposed to be protecting us, people who were supposed to take, you know, to protect and serve. And because people yell at them, which is also a First Amendment right, they are coming at them and attacking them and are, are, are doing things in unconscionable ways. And all of this is in response to the fact that a man was murdered on Facebook Live. Yeah. A man was murdered on Facebook Live. And and the it and, and that that that's what this is all ultimately a response to. I, I think that's so well said. I mm-hmm. can't that's perfect. Yeah. So Christina alluded to this, but we are going to, as she said, be having a guest on to talk about section two thirty, and that is of course because once Twitter hid Trump's tweet, uh, he had a meltdown and now says he wants to revoke section two thirty of the Communications Decency Act which is, of course, the law that has come up over and over again uh, with, uh, throughout like the, all the years that we've been doing this podcast, which says online platforms are not responsible for what users post. And it is what has protected Facebook and Twitter over and over again in this country when people say post videos of uh, violence that they're committing, murders that they're committing. But, oh, we, we're not responsible that they've posted this. We, in our best efforts tried to get it down in time, but we are not legally responsible for the fact that this person shared this. I am not sure why Trump thinks revoking this 
is going to help in this situation. Uh, he basically, he just wants Twitter to be held responsible for hiding his bad tweet. Um, but in effect, what this would obviously do would make Twitter, in fact, much more responsible for getting rid of lies like the ones that we talked to, we're talking about this week, the ones we've talked about last week, um, lies and inaccuracies because people could get hurt because of the, the incorrect things that Trump says all the gosh darn time. Um, so w- we'll get into it more on a future episode, but what are your guys' initial thoughts on this farcical turn? <laughs> I think it's a, it's, it's a bluster. You know, I, I think, I think sometimes people make the mistake of thinking this is like some master strategist. Like, let's be really clear here. Trump mm. is a, is someone with a clinical case of, you know, probably sociopathy or psychopathy. And he, he does not feel anything for, for anyone. And he's just unhindered by that. On top of that, he's just not very smart. And I don't say that to like lash out at him. I think there are psychologists that are very serious about this. They've poured over the man's life and his speeches and feel very comfortable with those statements. So, you know, I, I think that this is someone who does not exactly sit there and read the foremost legal thought on the on discussions over 230 yeah. and right. what our policy should be. He's a child throwing a temper tantrum. And the reality is he can't win a fight against the coronavirus, but he thinks he can win a fight with the American people by militarizing the police on our streets. Mm-hmm. And just before we go on, I just want to say, go back to something you were saying, Christina, we were talking about the police on our streets. I am so horrified and terrified by what I'm seeing right now. It is a police state. It is a violent, it it is terrifying to see these officers out there having fun, hurting people. You've seen the videos. I've seen the videos. And, you know, there's, there are only so many people in the world that have hidden in a bunker and gassed their own people. And our president is one of them. And it's just really unbelievably scary to see the police just having no restraint because we can't count on the Justice Department here. I don't particularly trust the FBI to investigate this stuff. The only check I can possibly see is lawyers introducing civil suits and just making it so ungodly expensive for them to to act on this because i i have zero faith that the bar justice department is going to act on this mhm any final thoughts before yeah i was just going to say i mean i we're going to talk more about 230 in a future show but i kind of agree with 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 brie i think this is farcical in a sense that this is bluster this is this is him wanting to see if he can scare the social media companies into complying with doing what he wants them to do. And in Twitter's case, they're saying no. Uh, uh, The next company we're going to talk about has a different reaction. Mm -hmm. This episode of Rocket is brought to you by Text Expander from our friends at Smile. Text Expander lets you use abbreviations to expand simple things like your phone number or your address. 
Uh, so we are big fans of Text Expander here, obviously. Christina uses her snippets all the time in the office. All the time. And at home and at her conferences all around the world when she travels. Uh, you can also make your snippets more powerful with fill-ins, pop-ups, and more. So your messages are customized instead of just being boilerplate text that rules. And it's available for companies, too. You can manage and share snippets for your teams and departments. Christina, who do you recommend Text Expander to? So I think anybody can benefit from Text Expander, but if, especially people who, if you find yourself writing the same things over and over again, like maybe you have this a similar one-liner that you constantly write in, or if you're like me and like there's a script that you frequently run, but maybe not so frequently that you haven't mem- memorized, this is where Text Expander is perfect. Like there's a, a certain script that I run um, once a week or so when I do one of my uh, uh, shows for Channel 9 where I need to download the thumbnail from videos so I can use the the image file and, and put it um, in um, kind of my assets folder. And I used to do a more manual process. Then I realized, oh, I can use a YouTube DL and I can just download the thumbnail alone. But I always forget exactly what the different, um, I guess, like inputs that I need to put in are. So instead, I've just created a text expander snippet so that I just type in a couple of characters and it enters in exactly what I want. This is something that I do frequently enough that it would be annoying for me to have to look up every time, but not so frequently that I have it either memorized or that I could just, you know, type it out in a snap. So I think that's when text expander will really save you time. And and those are the things that you might not even, like a lot of times you can use it for abbreviations or for saying, okay, I want to use like the, you know, the, the, the TM character um, or, or another sort of special character that maybe you don't want to have to go through like the, the Unicode keyboard to, to get out or, or certain, you know, um, um, emoticons or emojis or whatever, if you want to use those. But what you'll find is that if there are other things that you just use just often enough, but you might forget about, that's a great reason to use Text Expander as well. So I, I would recommend it for anybody, but especially for those people who, you know, there's stuff that you are always kind of looking up and needing to find out what it was so you can retype it. This mm-hmm. is a great way, okay? If you can remember like three or four characters, then you don't ever have to remember any of it, which is great. Well, if you want to learn more about Text Expander, they do interesting webinars every month. So sign up for the Text Expander beginner, advanced, or team webinars to learn more about boosting your productivity. You can find all of their webinars and sign up now at textexpander.com slash webinar. Text Expander is available for Mac OS, Windows, Chrome, iPhone, and iPad, and Rocket listeners get 20% off their first year. Just go to textexpander.com slash podcast to learn more about Text Expander. Check it out now and see your productivity soar. Textexpander.com slash podcast. Our thanks to Text Expander for their support of this show and Relay FM. So the second company we're talking about today is Facebook. And of course, Facebook, as you might have heard, has had a very different response uh, from Twitter. So Facebook dealt with the same exact posts. uh, And in response to the post about voter fraud, uh, Facebook reviewed Trump's claims and found that the post was not in violation of their policies against spreading misinformation about voting. And Facebook also let the, uh, the post promoting violence against protesters stand. Um, and Zuckerberg defended that, actually responded to Twitter's uh, Twitter's actions and said, 
I get it, but that's not something that we're ever going to do because we don't see ourselves essentially as arbiters of truth. Uh, ha, 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 which we'll get into. Um, and even up into today, uh, this he has continued to hold that position up into this article I'm seeing from two hours ago, uh, despite the fact that on Monday, many Facebook employees who were very upset that uh, Facebook had left the post about um, the shooting starting, uh, that, that that post had been left up. They were upset. They had not felt that their... Uh, their feelings were heard by management and they staged a walkout yesterday, which, uh, as noted by multiple journalists, is the first time that Facebook employees en masse have really started declaring their un- unhappiness with a Facebook move on Twitter. Specifically, there were a lot of Facebook employees who were tweeting about how disappointed they were in this particular move. Um, and Zuckerberg, as I said, continues to feel that their their policy against um against misinformation and against violence is fine and that the posts are fine and should stay on the platform so they're taking an exact opposite stance of what twitter is finally doing for once in its miserable life yeah and, and i think what bothers me the most about facebook's stance isn't just how disingenuous it is um, because it is so disingenuous and 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 it's so mealy mouthed in so many ways. But you know, the story we talked about last week was about how Facebook knew that it itself was, um, you know, um, creating divisiveness and was stroking divisiveness in the country, and that it was making things worse. And and Zuckerberg uh, very clearly didn't I, I didn't have any interest in stopping that. Said, "Don't bother me with this anymore." And the people that were attempting to actually put in measures that would clamp down on that failed, and most of them left the company. And so what bothers me about this isn't just the mealy-mouthedness and, and frankly, the cowardice of, of kowtowing to, you know, political pressure, which is what this was. Axios reported that Zuckerberg talked with Trump before he made his decision, before he made, like, his statement about Ugh. what they were going to do. He actually had a, a very productive, uh, to, in quotes, uh, conversation with, with, with President Trump. Um, it's not just the disingenuousness of that, but it's the fact that this is so untrue in the sense that, you know, Facebook is making these things worse and it knows it. So for me, if you really felt so strongly as from a platform point of view that you are not arbiters of truth, you are simply a platform and that anything, uh, you know, uh, can go and that anybody can say anything about whatever they want, um, that's that's a, a definitely a move you can take. Now, Facebook has time and time again shown that that's not true because if you say things like men are trash, your post will be taken down <laughs> as hate speech. And that's just a fact. Um, and, and uh, you know, uh, there, there are a number of other examples of things that will be taken down, but yet the president's comments are deemed okay. So, um, you know, A, there's, there's like the, the complete just kind of disconnect there, but B, even if you take the, the, the stance that says this should be allowed to stay up, that doesn't mean that you should be allowed to 
that, that that statement should be promoted, that it should be shown to other people, that it should be able to be weaponized, and that it should be able to be used to fuel more engagement, which is what Facebook is doing. And to me, that's the part that I, I find the most disgusting. It's like it, if you wanted to make the argument, which I would still disagree with, but if you wanted to make the argument that anything can be said, you know, provided it, it, it doesn't, you know, violate some, you know, law or something, um, that doesn't mean that you have to treat that content, that all content is treated equal, is is treated equally and that you are still allowed to promote and accelerate the spread of that content, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, but, but that's what, that's what they're doing. You know, it's the same thing with, with how they do political ads and the fact that, you know, Trump's, um, uh, posts can be used as promoted posts and can be used, you know, to, um, to, to, you know, they, they, they can be paid to be shown off other places and, and, that doesn't have to be the case. You you could very easily say, okay, the post stays up, but we're not going to allow it to be spread or we're not going to let the fact that it has engagement from this number of people, you know, increase how often people see it. Like mm-hmm. that that doesn't have to there could still be turn off else you the could algorithm do. on that post. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You could make you could make statements like that, but there but that's not the case. And so I don't know. I, I think that the move is really gross. Um I think that uh I've never been a fan of Mark Zuckerberg's, but I never, recent months, recent years have just kind of shown to me, it was like, that he is not, he he is even worse of, of a leader and has created something that I don't think he understands the impact and the implications of what he's created and is, is somebody who is in charge of something that is actively making the world worse. And that's really sad. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think he seems... <sighs> I I don't think there's enough. How can I put this? I I think there is a a distance between Zuckerberg's emotional understanding of the world and what he needs as leader. One of the stories that broke today was him meeting with some of the most important civil rights leaders of our day, and they walked out saying. This was a very deeply disappointing, unproductive meeting. And, you know, comments from this leaked immediately afterwards. And he's like, no, I I feel like we looked at it very comprehensively. You know, Zuckerberg wakes up and, uh, you know, announces the day before the protests at his company are happening. He's donating $10 million to to, uh, racial justice initiatives. I did the math on that. If you compare Zuckerberg's net worth and then uh, like proportionally figure out what that would be for the average net worth of someone his age, $10 million is literally a dollar 32 cents. Like that's how much money he has. And I feel like even if he's going to keep these policies, like put some real ammo behind this. Like go look at what uh, Jack Dorsey is doing. He really put his money where his mouth was on coronavirus. You know, there there are people out there that are doing real philanthropy. And it's just over and over and over again, he shows that he's toned down. Simone, remember that quote from last week where it's, yep. uh, you know, where he's like, yeah, please don't don't bring me these questions again. I just don't want to think about it. I don't want to see them. You know? I don't want to do my it. job. <laughs> right. Sorry. <laughs> no, you're dead on. That was my Mark Zuckerberg impression. Yeah, uh, Christina, <laughs> you unfortunately missed it, uh, but we did have a great show. <laughs> 
<laughs> I think where we crapped on Mark Zuckerberg the entire time. And I'm sorry, but the trend will stand. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I, I'm a fan of that. I, I got rid of my Mark Zuckerberg action figure for a reason. So <laughs> did uh, you I, have one? Yeah, oh, I did. Uh, oh, well, no. well, so, so some guy in China made it and then Zuckerberg like sued them over it. And I emailed the guy and I was like, am I still going to get it? He was like, oh yeah, totally. So, uh, yeah. Or, or maybe he was in Hong Kong. Um, uh, might, might've been where he was based. So I bought it mostly because it really made Facebook angry, but, but regardless, yes, I did used to have a, a Zuckerberg like figurine. Um, and, and I don't anymore, but, mm-hmm. uh, because even, even ironically, I was just like, I can't. Yeah. But Simone, Simone kind of what, what's your take on this? Um, I, I, I'm also interested in talking to you both about what we think about the employee response, because that's interesting. But Simone, what's what's your take on Facebook's actions? I totally agree with both of you. I think it does not bode well as we go into another election year. And I think it shows that no, despite what Facebook has said about how they're trying and they're not going to mess it up this time and they're, they're getting ready for an election year, the fact that Again, they do not fact check political ads and the fact that they do not have the backbone to see how this is misinformation. This is voter misinformation um, and this is glorifying violence and that they will not take a stand on it um, just shows that we cannot trust them going into this election. Um, They have not made progress in these last four years. And they continue, or I should say Mark Zuckerberg continues to prioritize profit over democracy in this country. Um, And that's disappointing. The silver lining is, of course, the employee response, which I find heartening. I don't know that it's something that's going to affect actual change within the company. However, I do like it as a sort of temperature taking of where Silicon Valley is in terms of feeling responsible for the effects of the products that people work on. So I, yeah. I'm i excited to see, I, I support what the Facebook employees who have walked out are doing, um, and I hope that the company listens. Yeah, um, I, I'm actually, I'm more heartened by the comp- by the people who've actually resigned because I think that'll have more impact. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I, I, I'm a, I want to be careful about this because I actually, I think it's really easy for people to say you, you can't have a job at Facebook and how could you work at a place so immoral and unethical and I have no respect for anybody who works there. And like, part of me, I'm kind of like, yeah, I see your point. But part of me is also like, that's a really difficult thing to say. There's a lot of privilege in being able to quit your job. There's a lot of privilege. And even if you make a lot of money, there's still a lot of privilege in that, especially when we're in the middle of a pandemic and, you know, um, a a recession. Like, I'm not going to uh, demand that people quit their jobs. And and also people have different ethical and moral lines. Some people might be okay with the decision. Some people might not be. And and they can make those calls. I, I am heartened, though, by the people who have the privilege to publicly call it out on whatever platforms they may be to say that they're unhappy, both to do the the walkouts Although part of me kind of doesn't love the term walkout because they're using their PTO. So I, I don't really know. You know what I mean? Like to me, it almost feels like uh, I don't know if we can really call it a walkout, but I do still definitely appreciate the sentiment of people not working. Like I definitely appreciate that. 
Um, but I think that people who do have the privilege to be able to um, publicly quit and explain why, especially when they're senior people, that I think is is really powerful because if if Facebook gets a reputation of a place that people don't want to work and mm-hmm. where your top talent doesn't want to go, that is something that will potentially impact change because we've seen that happen to other uh, major companies is that when people don't want to work there anymore and when you can't retain the top talent, they lose their edge, so to speak. And so, you know, uh, as a company that prides itself as as employing only the smartest people, um, uh, that is definitely something that, that would be a problem, I would think, that would be something that would hit Zuckerberg um, in in lots of places, I, whether that would be enough to make him change his his policy decisions or not, I don't know. But certainly, if you do want, I mean, this is I think a place where where labor does have some leverage. Unfortunately, it, it takes a lot to kind of assert that, and it can take a lot of time. It can be if you say we're not going to put up with this, and if you lose your 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 most talented people that does become something that can can maybe force either management change or make other force other decisions i don't know yeah yeah when when uh trump was twitter uh, i'm sorry it wasn't trump it was uh, uh kelly and conway she was targeting a very specific person that works on the trust and safety team uh i did an interview i forget who it was with but uh yeah i was telling them that this really sends a, a very powerful message to people that work at Twitter that if 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 your employees are targeted, your company is not going to stand by you and it's not going to have your back. And that's even if you don't care about the issue, it's just pragmatic as part of a long-term strategy to have your company's back. And let's just really get real. Christina, I I agree with you. I would never make a blanket statement like everyone that works at Facebook is wrong and should quit their job today. I would never say something like that. But I certainly adjust my impressions on people based on where they choose to work. Like if you're going and working for what's Peter Thiel's uh Palantir, startup, yeah. Right. I would Agreed. I would make impressions about you. Yeah, I'm gonna have that same impression about you with Facebook. Even if Facebook doesn't give a damn about the United States, and they don't. I would think they would take this walkout and people quitting their jobs publicly incredibly seriously because it does undermine the long-term viability of, 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 of their product. You know, it's, it's the stuff that the, that the very high-profile person was saying in his resignation letter was, you know, Mark said if this ever broke the TOS in a very clear way, we would delete it. And now we know that that is a lie. Mm-hmm. Right. That is a very powerful line to have crossed. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I just, I think, I mean, I feel like the moral argument is already made. I'm just talking about the pragmatic argument. Like, can't Facebook compete? Because I've got news for you. There were people in Silicon Valley, Jason, was on freaking Twitter saying, I'm so sick of this stuff. I'm going to fund anyone working in Facebook's same space. I'm going to fund the freak out of them. And that may just be a response. He couldn't get on the uh, the round for Clubhouse <laughs> and was bitter about that. But, you know, the same 
if they can't hire engineers and keep their product fresh, their Oculus Play does not seem to have worked out. So this is a serious concern. So take care of it just so people don't think you're the freaking Death Star. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm in total agreement. You don't want to be the place that nobody wants to work. That is, uh, it, it takes a really long time to come back for that reputation. Um, and it, it can be a real challenge and it can affect companies for years and years. And that's not a place, that's not something that Facebook wants to go through. And it is interesting that this is the first time we've seen any sort of kind of public you know, pushback from Facebook employees because traditionally, uh, I think that I don't think this is a wrong uh, characterization. Face if you work at Facebook or if you've worked at Facebook and this is wrong, please let me know. But I don't think this is a wrong characterization to say that many of the people who work there have been kind of idealistic and have had kind of rose-colored glasses on and have lived in their own bubble where they believe that they have the best intentions and they work at this really happy place. And for many, many years, the response to them was one of two things. It was either kind of like, oh, that that's just a fad. That's just social media. It won't ever amount to anything. Um, and so that was proving people wrong, or it was this, oh my gosh, Facebook is the, is the biggest thing ever. And look at all of this amazing stuff that it's done. So it's always been kind of this in general, kind of positive, um, I, either a very positive response or a sort of indifference of, oh, well, aren't you cute? It, there's never been anything really critical, um, uh, turned at the company. And now there is. And I, I think that a lot of the people internally, I mean, this is certainly the case of people I've talked to, um, in, in the past, I haven't talked to anybody who works there recently, um, has been that the, there's just kind of been bewilderment in the things that are happening. I mean, we started to see that with, with the Cambridge Analytica stuff, and I think this is only going to get bigger. And that, I think, becomes a really kind of interesting thing about what does that do to the makeup of, of the company? Because the, the company ultimately is more than Mark Zuckerberg. You know, company is is the people who work in it and work on it. And um, I, I applaud those who are who have been willing to either leave or have been willing to stand up and say what's happening here doesn't um, doesn't reflect our values and isn't okay. I think that's really brave. How do you feel? How do you feel, Simone? Uh, like you guys have said everything we're saying. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, I want to get into our dessert this week. So instead of doing a regular dessert, we're each going to go around and say one thing that like if you're feeling very overwhelmed about the world and you want to do something, but you're not sure where to start. uh, Hopefully one of these things can be a thing that you can do. Um, And I guess I will start. So uh, there are a lot of mutual aid organizations that sprang up uh, during the COVID-19 pandemic, which is, of course, still ongoing, lest we forget, um, formed to help support people who might be immunocompromised and can't get groceries or can't afford groceries because of their work situation. Um, and if you are interested in volunteering I definitely recommend it as a thing to do. Uh, if you go to mutualaid.nyc, you can find mutual aid groups all around New York City. Um, and I, if you, I think, are not in NYC, because I'm sure many of you are, you can Google your location in mutual aid. And the ways that you can help through these groups are really diverse. So it's not just like going out and buying groceries and delivering them. It could be 
answering phones. It could be putting up flyers. It could be designing uh, designing flyers or social media posts or making videos or just organizing the data that the mutual aid groups need to function, like finding pantries, calling pantries and seeing how they work and what's available there. Um, making a stockpile in your own home so that delivery workers can come get food to deliver to people in need. So there are a lot of ways to help that don't necessarily involve like going out of the house, which I think is really important for people who can't do that right now. So I definitely recommend getting involved with a mutual aid group. And that's a way that you can help even if the like even if going to a protest right now feels inaccessible to you. This is a way that you can help people in need in your community. So that's my recommendation if you want to do a thing. Brianna, what's the thing that you would recommend if you want to do a thing? I Before I say this, I just want to say, most weeks when we plan the show, we fight over dessert. We fight (laughs) over dessert because there's so much dessert. We relish bringing you all fun topics. There was nothing fun this week. We wanted wanted to do a topic about Liam Michelle. And then Christina's like, we can't do that because of the suicide link. And it's just like... It's like it was a very hard week to bring you dessert. So mm-hmm. I I have a very pragmatic um, suggestion of how you can help, particularly if you are a white person. One of the areas of policy I got to learn a lot more about running for office is bail reform. And I used to think that this was not a particularly important area of policy. Um, I have grown to become one of these people that thinks bail should be um, in in many more cases than it is abolished. Uh, there are a lot of community bail funds that can help uh, get people out of jail. And, you know, it's, it's rare that you can help save someone's life. This is a situation where you really can help save someone's life in this case because of coronavirus. Coronavirus spreads like wildfire in jail. And you have people that are being put in these crowded spaces. They're not being charged with crimes. If, God forbid, they have to go through the system and then, like, get put there and they're not able to get on bail, it could literally be a death sentence. I encourage everyone here to go read uh, Kotaku writer Nathan Grayson uh, was arrested in, I believe it was Seattle, at one of the protests. And they kept him locked in a parking garage with zip ties around his wrists for over 12 hours, unable to really eat or drink or go to the bathroom. And, you know, if you can donate money to these community bail funds, you're giving a person to just get out of there, get to a safe spot, and you're allowing people to get out there and make their voice heard. Um, I also just want to tell people, as states are reopening, this is an incredibly dangerous time for us to be uh, protesting. It's a real damned if you do, damned if you don't situation. If you don't protest, people are going to die. If you do protest, you're risking your own life. So if you're going to be out there, I urge you in the strongest possible terms, please wear a mask. Please practice social distancing as much as you can. Please stay safe because we need you because this is not going to be a fight we we win with one protest. This is going to be a a long haul of putting the United States back together. 
Here, here. Well said. And I, I guess the thing that I would add uh, to, to Simone and to Bree's amazing suggestions, and again, uh, in addition to uh, uh, volunteering and, and, and giving uh, money to organizations where you can and supporting things like bail reform, is um, if, if you feel like you can't get out there and protest, um, and even if you feel like maybe you don't have the money to donate, although I definitely recommend that if you if you do have it, you can learn. And at least I think it's really important for all of us, especially those of us who are who are who are not black, uh, those of us uh, who have privilege to learn. And we can do that through books, and we can do that through film. And so I've I've actually been spending some time this week revisiting some of my favorite films by black filmmakers. Um, you know, um, uh, Do the Right Thing by Spike Lee is a tremendous film. Rosewood by John Singleton, directed by John Singleton. Uh, this is the story of the Rosewood Massacre, which most people don't even know about is a fantastic film. Uh, Ava Duapani um, has written uh, and directed some amazing films. And I think that reading books, uh, watching uh, movies, those are those are things that can give us insights into the experience that is, is especially important if we are not Black. Uh, we will never be able to understand the experience, but, it's imp- but we can listen and we can learn and to start to think about things in a different way, I think is, is really crucial, which shows why it is important for us to get out there and uh, and, and protest with our words or uh, donating with, with our money or to go out there. You know, to Bree's point, if you are going out there wearing a mask, social distance, I would also say uh, there are some uh, shortcuts and some other things you can do on your phone to protect you so that if you are in a situation where you are um, detained, you're able to send a message out to people and you can uh, let people know that you're okay. Um, there, there are ways to do that. You know, uh, turn Face ID off on your phone is one of the yes. things I will say too. <laughs> do not uh, say, turn your fingerprint sensor off. Like, put in, make it so that you have to actually and put in uh, your your pin and make that be more than four digits. Uh, be 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 safe out there. Um, are, are also things that I would say. But uh, yeah, I, I've been I've been watching movies, frankly, and trying to, it's, it's difficult of a, of a time as it is for that. Um, it's, it's important, I think, to see the perspective, especially of other, of, of, of people who are artists and, and people who are writers and who are sharing their lived experience, because it does give us better understanding so that we can appreciate our privilege and so that we can lift up those voices and speak out as allies. Mm-hmm. So those are three. Actually, we did a really good job uh, talking about very different ways that people can help. So I hope you guys stay safe and do what you can and learn a lot. It's a great moment to learn a lot. And uh, I appreciate you. Uh, Christina, where can we find you online? You can find me at film underscore on uh, film underscore girl on Twitter and on Instagram. All right. And Brianna, what about you? Brianna Wu on Twitter. And I'm on Twitter at Doom Quasar and YouTube.com slash Polygon. And thank you everyone for listening. Uh, Again, stay safe. Thank you. And this episode of Rocket is terminated. 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 Terminated.